This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler. To my right, well, that is Jack Foster. To my left, that is Ryan Shumpert. We are back here up top at Neyland Stadium. We're going to be breaking down a little bit of Tennessee's 20-13 win over Texas A&M. Of course, if you want to go back and check out our instant reaction podcast, or just video recording, you can go and do that. That'll be on YouTube by the time that you're listening to this. But otherwise, guys, let's, let's break this whole thing down. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about the game. Uh, and, and Ryan, I'll start with you, man. Just kind of broad overall thoughts. This was a game that, that it was a little bit of an unconventional win for Tennessee's sake. What did you think about just how this whole game came together? Certainly, Josh and I talked about it post-game of you know, not being used to coaching in games like this. And it had been a long time. You couldn't remember the last one. And he's 100% right. I mean, I think that was my overall takeaway um, is just how – from a, just looking at it from a Tennessee perspective, how well the defense played and then just how many missed opportunities the offense had the entire game. So that's what stood out, and I guess kind of a stat to punctuate that. Less than 600 total yards in this game combined for both teams, 599. I mean, I wonder the last – that I'd be shocked if that's happened in Josh Heupel era. And heck, Tennessee was pretty darn bad at offense in the Jeremy Pruitt era. And I'm, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure there were too many games uh, where there were 600 total yards. Well, this was the first for Heupel tonight. It's the first game he's won at Tennessee when they did score 30 points. I think it's the first game in his entire coaching career. Entire coaching career. It extends further. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. Well, 1-9 and nine now, I think, is the number. Correct. Right. And also the halftime stat. I knew the number well. was 0-9. What was the halftime stat? Well, I'm not 100% sure that the halftime stat's right. I feel more confident in that. But I had also seen a stat that it's the same thing. That's the first game he's won while trailing at halftime as head coach. Wow. That feels harder to believe. And I haven't been able to verify it. But... I mean, I can't remember one at Tennessee, so. But, yeah, like, as a fan of football tonight, this was an amazing game. Like, it was very close all the way through. And I think the important takeaway is that we see Tennessee is able to win a game like this. And we kind of touched on with the stats. First time this happened in the hype layer, of course. But this Tennessee team being able to grit and grind their way to a victory using the rushing attack, using defense, using special teams, not the passing offense <laughs> whatsoever. It yeah. was complete liability tonight and did not help matters at all. Tennessee still won the game against a very good SEC team, still a top-half SEC team in my book, so a big win for Tennessee. Yeah, this was huge, and, you know, I kind of mentioned it off the top. You know, winning a football game defensively is not unconventional in its own. Yeah. But as you both just alluded to, when Tennessee does it, right, when Tennessee holds their opponent to just a total of six points, two made field goals after the first drive of the game. That, to me, is unconventional from what we've seen here at Tennessee. Oh, 100%. And, I mean, you made the good point. And him goes 80 yards in seven plays for a touchdown to open the game. And then after that, they average less than four yards the rest of the game. And I guess they had a couple, you know, borderline 30-ish yard plays in the past game. But it just really no chunk plays offensively. Tennessee's defensive line, you know, absolutely locked down Texas A&M's rushing attack, just 54 rushing yards for the Aggies. And once again, uh, you saw Tennessee's defensive line and pass rush specifically down a very talented, very effective Omar Norman lot. He was, you know, he was out tonight really good, and you saw them against a better offensive line than they faced against South Carolina be consistently effective getting to the passer. Yeah, I mean, how good is this pass rush this year? Yeah. James Pierce is an absolute animal. He is... 
He's taking that pass rush to another level this year. And Tyler Barron has had a great year, too. Tennessee beat up Max Johnson a lot in the first quarter. They talked about the first drive. That was by far AM's best drive offensively. I don't think Max Johnson was the same in the last three quarters after the first quarter. And that's credit to Tennessee's pass rush. Kind of reminded me of the Pitt game last year when Keaton Slovis left yeah. the game just because he couldn't take anymore and was too injured. I think Max Johnson fought through a lot of injuries tonight, one being to his wrist. So, yeah, outside of a couple of great plays, frankly, from their wide receivers 100%. who bailed him out multiple times yes. and a couple of plays from their running back, Le'Veon Moss, there wasn't much going at all with this A&M offense. I knew that if Tennessee just – could just wasn't going to make some big mistake down the stretch, they were going to win. When it's 14-13, just like Tennessee just has to play clean or else and they're going to win if they do. That did feel like a huge moment in the game. After Tennessee, I'm sure we'll go back and talk about it later, but they take the lead on the punt return. And it's play a game, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The sequence of the game. You go back to doubting the punt to one yard line. But A&M moves the ball down the field. They hit a long pass on third down, and then they got roughing the passer after it. So yeah. it's like all of a sudden it was very close to Tennessee losing all that momentum. Uh both teams' offenses shot themselves in the foot. I mean, it was good defense by both teams. Both teams' offenses did hurt themselves a couple times. That happened where Max Johnson turns the wrong way for a handoff. You know, yeah. uh, on that sequence, is tackled for a three-yard, four-yard loss. And like you said, it felt like just a – I wouldn't say I was as confident as you were. Tennessee was definitely going to win at that point. But it, it did feel like just a massive, massive – hold in the game yeah. that they were able yeah. to preserve them. Once they held them to three there. I, I didn't yeah. think that when a was driving that drive, yeah. it was 14-10. But once they held them to three, I'm like, man, it's going to be really tough for this A&M offense to mount a scoring drive that they need. Yeah, I, I think when you look at Tennessee's defense, they just had some timely moments. Uh, again, it, it was a little bit of bend, but they did not break coming after that that second, uh, excuse me, that that touchdown in the opening drive. And then they even go back to the, to the end of the game, right, where – AM is down by a score, and eventually, I guess, that, that did move up to 20 points or so, but they're only down by a couple points. They have chances to move the ball down the field, yeah. and Tennessee's defense just absolutely shows up, and they, they basically show Texas A&M where the exit door was, right? Yeah. That was huge. Uh, Gabe Julie Lolly came up with an interception. Kamal Haddon came up with an interception. It just felt like Tennessee... We, we've seen Tennessee play a bend-but-don't-break style throughout the Josh Heupel era and, and Tim Banks era at times, but I, I I didn't even necessarily feel as much that way this game. I just felt like, hey, they made stops when they needed to. They played a good, complete game. And look, Sorry, guys. I was going to say, it felt like, and now that you know, some of it was Texas A&M forcing Tennessee into it, but it felt like when A&M moved the ball for that first drive, it was Tennessee shooting themselves in the foot. Penalties, penalties. yes. I mean, the... Moment the game will everyone will overlook is when Randy not Boyd Randy Bond misses the you know whatever it was fifty yard field goal to tie it, yeah. tied it or would have taken the lead with six seven minutes left. Uh, the only reason they got down the field there is Roman Harris Harrison grabs Max Johnson's face mask while sacking him and then uh, you know pass interference the very next play. So uh, obviously they hit a couple of plays, but Tennessee it felt like even when Andy was able to move the ball, they weren't like egregious mistakes. It wasn't like they were hitting people late. Uh, but some penalties that, that hurt them. Yeah, it felt like when the flags got going a couple times tonight, they really got going. It was like a ton of flag on every play yes. for like a five-play sequence a couple of yeah. different times. So it was a flag fest at times, and some were good calls, some were bad calls, but you, you'll have that in every game, I guess, but certainly more tonight. And my point I was going to make before you said that was how many times in the second half was Texas and third and long, Texas A&M in third and long just immediately? Yeah. Like, wow, it's third and ten. Sure. There Third down music's yep. going. Wow. It's, it, this drive's already almost dead. So, credit to Tennessee's defense. Probably the best performance we've seen out of that unit in a while. 100%. And I think the thing that 
I'm glad you brought it up. It felt like Tennessee forced a bunch of three and outs Texas A&M. I haven't run the numbers on it, but it felt like Texas A&M was, had a lot of drives where they just didn't get anything going. And as bad as Tennessee's offense was tonight, it, I mean, it's complete opposite. Tennessee's, it, it didn't. Tennessee's only three and out of the entire game was the drive they had started at the six-yard line uh, after gave Judy Lawley's interception. Every other drive, Tennessee got at least one first down, and it just they would get between the, you know, the 50 and the Texas A&M 30-yard line, and it just felt like every drive stalled out there. Uh, they were either sacked out of field goal range or missed a field, also missed a one-long field goal, didn't convert on a couple fourth downs. And obviously the one drive that they were able to kind of get into red zone and kind of get over that middle of the field hump, Joe Mill throws just a terrible interception. Yes, and, and that one was uh, – it was really bad, it, no doubt about it. And, and I want to come <laughs> back to – I want to come back to the offense because I feel like there's obviously more discussion there and, and that leads you into a little bit of the good and a little bit of the bad and maybe some of the ugly – in between then, though, let's talk about Tennessee special teams. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a point tonight, and I'll get to the punt here in a minute, but there was a point tonight where you were looking down at the field, and I think that it was saying Tennessee's offense needs a spark right now, right? They're running the ball really well, but they're not efficiently playing in the end zone. They're not efficiently playing in the checkerboards. They need a spark. They need something to come up with it, and that happened to be D. Williams. He, he yeah. had an electric punt return. He took it back to the house. That gave ten, that put Tennessee up to 14. They were obviously able to get to 20 thanks to those other field goals. But Tennessee didn't have another offensive touchdown besides you know how they originally scored their first one. So Tennessee needed a spark, and D. Williams delivered. Definitely. And second half, there wasn't a single offensive point scored. Three field goals, two from Tennessee, one from Texas A&M, and the punt return for a touchdown. And as fantastic as that punt return was, D. Williams set it up by three plays later. Jackson Ross was a punt. He gets down there and pins Texas A&M at the one-yard line. The Aggies go run up the middle for no yards, run up the middle for no yards, incomplete pass. So yeah. uh, that was a game-changing sequence. And then, obviously, I think you've got to give a ton of credit to Mike Eckler, Tennessee's coaching staff. At least speaking for myself, I thought, all right, you know, A&M was out in the six-inch line, you know, not even the one-yard line. Like, they're going to go all out for the pump block. They completely set up for the return. Uh, you go back and watch that replay. Obviously, D. Williams made a manner to miss two, but that was a really well-blocked punt return. Yeah, and I think when we look at these two teams coming into the game, they had similar strengths. Could run the ball well, great front sevens, and I thought that if Joe Milton struggled, I didn't, honestly didn't expect him to. I thought it was going to be a good night for Joe Milton just because of Texas A&M's deficiency in the pass defense, but it, it, he was awful tonight. So, with that happening, the game was close. It was a nail-biter, just like it was. Defensive struggle, and I knew that something like that was going to swing the game, and sure enough, D. Williams did so. One of the best punt returners in the SEC, for sure. Yeah, you talked about it in your Tell the Tape article yesterday, that probably the two best punt returners in the SEC yeah, in this Smith game, and yeah. Nia Smith and D. Williams, and Tennessee did a really good job covering the punts, uh, and then, obviously, Tennessee breaks the one, D. Williams breaks the long one, that just completely changed the game, and they just needed it so badly. The offense was able to move the ball to get in position, but they just could not finish drives. So that was absolutely massive. Uh, and give Jackson Ross credit. And again, for a guy, look, we know D. Williams is electrifying, so him returning a punt for a touchdown isn't a shocker. But for a guy that never plays on defense, he obviously doesn't play on offense either, he's a defensive back, to be so locked in to go down that ball at the one-yard line, uh, yeah, I think it speaks a lot to Tennessee's culture, and it speaks a lot to D. Williams just for being fully locked into a game outside of the you know kind of one bright and shiny job that he gets to do returning punts. Yeah, maybe we'll see him on offense. Maybe we will. I mean, that was a little buzz. I know you're transcribing hypo, but during the players' press conference tonight, D. was asked by the great Jimmy Himes, 
who uh, apparently oh. isn't retired, you know. Jim, Jim's still still a legend. He's gonna, yeah. he's gonna roll off the like football game. Um, but he was actually asked if he's, you know, maybe gonna see any reps on offense moving forward, and D was like, "Yeah, I think so." So we've seen him do uh, warm-ups as a receiver. I'm just saying, maybe it happens in the future. But Ryan, let's switch gears to Jalen Wright. Yeah. Who tonight ran all over. What was the SEC's best rush defense in Texas A&M? 136 yards on 19 carries, no score, but Jalen Wright was the best player on this Tennessee offense just as he's been all season long. Both of us were, you know, two of the first on, not the two of our horn, but we were two of the first on the Jalen Wright hype train this yeah. offseason. And he was, like you said, once again, Tennessee's best defensive, or best offensive player, just all the stuff we always see. Physicality, the patience, finding the right hole, and then obviously we know he's got the speed and Again, this is another thing we've talked about a lot with him. Longest run of the night, 23 yards. Yep. 7.2 yards per carry. I mean, against this Texas A&M run defense, it's so stout. I mean, it was one thing that he was doing at whatever it was, eight or nine yards against Virginia. I mean, that was really impressive, but it's Virginia. For him to just consistently be grinding out five, six, 15-yard runs uh, against this Texas A&M defense is a huge testament to him. and. There's certainly a case to be made as the best running back in the SEC. It is every part of his game that is entirely complete and well-balanced, right? It is the patience running the ball. It's the footwork running the ball. It's the physicality running the ball. Of course, it's the speed running the ball. But we've known he's had the speed element, right, to his game since he arrived. It is really incredible to watch Jalen Wright. I I hope somebody... I'm not going to do it, so I hope somebody else puts a super cut together of all of his runs tonight because there were some really good ones, right? Just ones where he'd bounce it out to the outside and he put that stiff arm down and he could kind of get a couple extra steps here. Somewhere he's just running hard between the tackles. I mean, it's it's an incredible thing to see just how truly complete uh, a running back is, and that's in some ways a rarity, right, in the sport of football because running backs are so, in some ways, of course, not every way, but... So running backs are so specialized, yeah, right? And they're, they're, they, they're designated for certain things. Um, it, it's it's really incredible to see just the, the, the complete back that Jalen Wright has turned into. And he wasn't one when he got into Right. I mean, yeah. his freshman year, he yeah. had to play a lot because Tyon Evans got injured that season. Jabari Small was injured that season. He was Tennessee's third running back. And yeah. he saw the talent. Yeah, we saw Lenith Whitehead that year. We saw the show how <laughs> not deep they were. Yes, exactly. So you saw a lot of him and you saw the potential, but – he was just a, you know, he was a speed guy. And I remember one of the first games he played, I can't remember which one, he was just in a hurry too much. He, he had no patience running football. And to go from now where it's like he's like Le'Veon Bell or Arian Foster prime with his patience and finding the holes. And uh, obviously he's put on a ton of weight and still kept speed and has become a very physical runner, not afraid of contact. It's yeah. very, very impressive. I'll say even his bad runs that go for three or four yards, which are few and far between, but he's still making moves in the backfield to avoid yeah. getting tackled for loss, and he finishes. Yeah. Like, he does not get tackled easily. He, that, he is an angry runner. That part of it reminds me of Jalen Hurd a lot. I mean, Jalen Hurd played, especially early in his career, played by, behind some bad offensive lines. And, you know, it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but Jalen Hurd had a lot of good two- or three-yard runs, and Jalen writes the same way. He has a lot of runs that – could easily be one or two yard losses that he makes a man misses and turns it into two, three, four yard, four yard games. Well, I got some stats for you guys, real quick. Please. So coming into this game, Texas A&M had been giving up 84 yards rushing to opponents per game. Tennessee had been rushing for 231 yards per game as a team. Who was going to win that? It was great. It was great. Tennessee yep. won that in a big yep. way tonight. 232 yards rushing for Tennessee. A big day against AM and Jalen Wright, obviously a big part of that. Jalen Wright with his 136 yards. That is more than Alabama's Jace McClellan 
Arkansas's Raheem Sanders and Auburn's Jarquez Hunter combined against Texas a and <laughs> this great. year. Combined. They combined for 232 rush yards. Right, or 132 rush yards. Wright had 136 tonight. And also, Tennessee had more rush yards tonight than those three teams did combined as well in Auburn, Bama, and Arkansas. So a big night for Wright, big night for this Tennessee rush attack that is, I think, the best in the SEC. You said it earlier that both teams' strengths, or one of their biggest strengths is their defensive lines in their front seven. There were moments, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just, what a horrible interception. Pick six, Carson Beck threw. I, I had not seen from earlier. <laughs> we got the SEC halftime half, uh, highlights on, and that interception was so bad, it just, wow, I'm startled and <laughs> taken aback. It caught you off guard. It caught me completely off guard. Yeah, I didn't even see it. Um, I mean, you didn't even, what, what was I even talking about? Um, you're talking about how the defensive line yes, really okay. seems strength. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Texas A&M's defensive line had their moments tonight, but Tennessee's defensive line no doubt played better than yep. Texas A&M's defensive line. And in a game where neither quarterback was overly effective, obviously we talked about Joe Milton was really, really bad. It largely came down to who was going to be better on the line of scrimmage, and, and Tennessee was better tonight. And credit to their offensive line, Tennessee's. It's correct. Cooper Mage, man. The difference is crazy. And Mincy got hurt, and I thought Dane Davis did a fine job. I did. I mean, you filling in. He came in in what the third quarter, and I don't think I noticed Dane Davis, which is always a good thing when you're talking about an offense tackle. Talking about the offensive line, and then switching over to the quarterback that was a part of it, guys. Joe Milton ends the night with 11 of 22 passing, so right at 50 percent. He throws one touchdown and one interception, so he splits that. And he throws for 100 yards on the dot. Three kind of strange statistics to, to have at different times. Very strange to have them all at the same time. Ryan, I'll start with you. Just kind of what you think about Joe Milton's performance tonight. And obviously it was a challenging one. Set the tone from the beginning. I think the first play of the game, he airmailed an out route over Squirrel White's head that was wide open. And that was an omen for what was to come for Joe Milton. He was, he was real bad tonight. He missed some open throws. I think his pocket presence was, by his standards, horrible. There were a couple plays that he did make some things happen in the run game, or scrambling the ball, but not very accurate with the football. Didn't wasn't able to throw a couple deep shots. Tennessee, I think, would have gotten pass interference calls on if the throws were better and more catchable. Yes, and good just uh, um, the situational awareness. First drive of the game, too. Tennessee, you know, in third and eight, they get a free play. Doesn't throw the ball down the field, but, you know, it's like, all right, looks fine. He's just going to scramble. He's easily got the first down, steps out of bounds, a yard short of, of the marker when he easily could have gotten it. Tennessee ends up getting stuffed there, doesn't end up scoring uh, on that drive. So that was a big one. And then, obviously, the backbreaker, the, you know, the interception that, and the end zone that he threw just felt – and I felt like a Jerry Garantano interception. I mean, you watched it. You saw where he was going with his first read. It was Thornton over in the middle, and the safety just didn't move. I mean, the safety was sitting right in the middle of the field the whole time. He didn't really – disguised it or anything, and Milton threw it right into his chest. And you talk about at the time, Tennessee just up by one point, and as well as their defense was playing, you felt like it was going to be hard for Texas A&M to go drive down the whole field and score a touchdown. A lot easier to get in the field goal range. Uh, just a really costly mistake at that time. Yeah, and that ensuing drive for Main m was when the kick was missed, correct? It was. So if that kick was – honestly, I think if they make that kick, they win. And then we're talking about that Joe Milton interception – a whole lot more. We're talking about that Joe Milton interception of you can't, you can't, you just lost it again. Yeah, that, I mean, Tennessee. It's an eco time. That, that's yes. how we're talking about it. Yes. And, I mean, I've kind of given the benefit of the doubt in a lot of ways 
So not only Milton, but just the fact that I don't watch Nico. We don't get to watch practice. Right, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I haven't seen I, practice in a long time. I don't know what Tennessee has in Nico Yamaliava. So who am I to say that he's, you know, would definitely be better than Joe Milton? I have a hard time thinking Nico Yamaliava wouldn't have played better than Joe Milton tonight. So and this was, you know, Tennessee won. In a lot of games this year, Tennessee has won. And Joe Milton hasn't been the reason they've won, but he's been fine. He's been a good game manager. Tonight they won in spite of a really bad Joe Milton performance. Yeah, I think you made great points. His pocket presence was terrible tonight, even for his standards. And this is something that will never show up on the stat sheet, but tonight he was so late with his throws and his reads. There were countless times where someone would be open, but someone's not going to be open for 10 seconds. Like, they're only going to be open for a three- to four-second window. you got to pull the trigger. Yeah. And he would be looking at him, and he'd not be getting pressure. Still not making the throw. I don't know what you're doing. Why are you holding on to the ball? So that happened over half a dozen times, countless times tonight. And you're right about the P.I. thing, too. If he would have made a couple of better plays, maybe they'd get some more calls. But, yeah, it was it was not a good night. His yeah. worst performance of the season. It was a good point about not, you know, just patting the ball too much. I mean, there's, like you said, probably half a dozen times that happened in general. But, I mean, I can remember three plays specifically where it's just a third dog ball that he's not going to make. Intermediate over the middle where guys are running wide open. And he just holds the ball too far along. I think one of them, he took a deep shot instead of throwing it. The McCollum Castles one that kind of got lucky was a pass interference. The guy just kind of ran into uh, Castles. But, yeah, it's... It was, yeah, there wasn't much good to say about Bill's performance. And I think I want to touch on this one sequence. When it was third and long, they're about at the 45-ish, maybe, and they run it. And it was a good run. And it sets them up with fourth and manageable. Fourth and, oh, it was like fourth and seven, right? And that's when Milton takes the sack to turn it over on downs? Oh, no, is that scenario the sack from Mincy? From Mincy's guy? That was, that scenario, which I think was the first drive of the second half, at least the one I'm thinking of, it was third and nine. I thought this was a terrible decision making by Heichel. They ran it on third and nine, got two yards, decided to still go for That's it. That's what I'm talking about. And so it wasn't a good run. It was third and nine, and then it yes. made it fourth and seven, yet they still went for it. It was just like, like I, I get that Charles Campbell had missed the kick for basically the exact same point in the first half, but that's four, <laughs> fourth and seven is like a yardage you say. It's like, oh, no, it's not going to be good in this type of situation. Yeah. Look, that play... I think just as much, you know, was more on Gerald Mincy than anybody else. The guy went right past Joe Milton, and obviously he didn't make anything happen other than which he could have. But, yeah, it was a bad night, and I don't know how long this pass was, but you talk about it. Milton had 100 yards passing. One of those passes was a third-down conversion that the guy he wasn't throwing it to caught and got 15 yards on. The yeah. ball that he threw to win, which was a pretty good throw, went right through Dante Thornton's hands, out oh, off his chest. Yes. McCollin Castles catches it. Yeah, that's right. So you're talking about like 85 yards passing that Milton had on plays where he was, you know, targeting the receiver he was targeting. Yeah, football. completing the, the to the targeted Which receiver. Which, granted, I, there was tight coverage here. That was a good throw by Milton. Dante Thornton should have caught that pass in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, what else? You know, I think that we've, we've pretty much hit on a ton of topics yeah. on, on this thing. We hit offense. We hit defense. We hit special teams. Just any other kind of wrap-up thoughts as, as we – you know, put this Texas A&M game to bed. We may not see this next week, as Heifel said. It's going to be a rotation, but Chaz Nimrod getting the start opposite uh, Squirrel White and Monroe sure. Keaton tonight uh, on the outside. So he he was ahead of Caleb Webb tonight. We'll see if that happens moving forward. But And Dante Thornton, can he played, but still obviously just in certain situations and not a high snap count. Well, I think that leads me into what I was going to say. Joe Miller's really bad tonight. 
Tennessee's receiving course is not very good. Yeah. I mean, they're not awful or anything, but especially missing Brew McCoy. Agreed. You know, Webb and uh, Nimrod are both serviceable. They're not bad players, but they're not great. Ramel Keaton, I think, has probably been, you know, probably important. Oh, what, what been, a drop. Have been two of Tennessee's <laughs> most disappointing players this season. Terrible drop. You know, I, I joked about Derrick. I said all week I thought Hype was going to scheme up a couple guys wide open. He only got one, and he, boy, was he wide open. And, you know, again, Milton's stat line looks a little bit better if he hits a 30-yard touchdown pass there. Um, no, I guess he did. They did end up scoring. Yeah, yeah. they hit Jacob Warren on that uh, drive for a touchdown. So, yeah, Keaton. And then another one that this was, you know, goes both ways. I think it was a third down, or maybe it wasn't a third down. But Keaton wide open on a slant route. Milton throws it behind him. A ball Keaton should have caught, but, it, you know, at the same time, if that's a good throw by Milton in stride, Keaton probably picks up 25, 30 yards. He was so open on the slam. Yeah. yeah. Guys, what do you say? We, we, we get this thing wrapped up. Uh, we're about 25 minutes into the show right now, plus about 10 minutes from the video reaction we had down on the field. Uh, what do you guys say we wrap this thing up and get back to work? Sounds great. Sounds good? Mm-hmm. Got a nod over here, so that is what we will do. Ladies and gentlemen, and thank you so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass podcast today. Again, we are wow. We've got a we've got a big play right here in the Missouri Kentucky game, uh, which will be over by the time that you're listening. But how hey. dreadful all those Missouri uniforms! I was I was just thinking between that and the, I hate chrome helmets. The chrome oh, helmets, really? K- Kentucky's rocking. Yeah. Oh wow! I don't hate the Missouri uniforms even the slightest. Ugh! It's a Too terrible much yellow. I mean, it, it's a lot of yellow, but I like the the stripes. I like the pattern. Ooh, I think that looks fun. Up. Yeah, yeah, fumble. Also, fumble man, what, a, what a collapse by South Carolina today! I need to go back and watch Ooh, the highlights of that one. Ran Burns threw for like four hundred and forty yards. Any Tennessee fan out there, if you want some good entertainment, whenever you're listening to this, go. I mean, I didn't listen to it yet. I'm just sure Shane Beamer's post game press conference will be oh very fun to listen to. Yeah. Was that game in Florida or in Columbia? Columbia, I think. Wow. There. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was in Columbia. Not positive of that, but we will we will find out in Columbia. It oh. was. Wow. So they he had his he had his uh, home press conference room to uh hey, to do that with. Who has a better chance of making a bowl game, South Carolina or Colorado? Ooh, that's a good one. Having not looked at their schedules specifically right now, I'll say South Carolina. I just saw the graphic of like what Colorado's got the rest of the way, and it's it's tough. Yeah, Pac-12, Pac-12 is a lot better than the SEC used to. So I still think South Carolina will have a number yeah. of toss-up games. They're gonna have to need to win more than over fifty percent of them to make it. But yeah, I'll say that's a little more likely. Gentlemen, that is going to wrap it up for us here tonight. Thank you very much, Ryan Shumper. You can go and follow him at rshump00. Thank you very much, Jack Foster. You can go and find him at Jack Foster Media, of course. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. Otherwise, we're getting out of here. we got more work to do. It's about 9.30 p.m. here as we are inside one of the press boxes of Neon Stadium. And we're going to get back to work, continue to break down this win over Texas A&M. Number 19, Tennessee defeats Texas A&M by a score of 20-13. to 13. Only the second time that the Aggies have ever been to Neyland Stadium. Uh, and Tennessee showed them a, a, a good game here tonight. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you back for the next one.